All right, Rabbi Osai, good morning. Let us begin. I want to begin by th- I'm sorry. Thank you, Sammy. Thank you. I want to begin by thanking our sponsors, our Tamatora sponsors, for the month of Sivan. To thank Naftali and Chavi Tilson for dedicating all of the Shi'urim and Drashos this month. And Naftali dedicating in, in honor of his Chavar Benjamin Wall for introducing him to the Dafyomi. May Hashem bless us all to finish the Dafyomi cycle together. And celebrate with the Siyum in Eretz Yisrael. Amen. To thank Baruch Marina Dubin for dedicating all the Shurman Drashos this month. And the Schuss to Hashem continue to protect our brothers and sisters in Eretz Yisrael. And may all of our children remain safe and complete their year of learning with a deep connection to the land and to Hashem's Torah. And to thank our week of learning sponsor, Mrs. Salma Wolf, and the Schuss of Arafur Shlema for her grandson, Kobe Rothberg, Yaakov Zev Ben Sivya Devora. We hope that he, together with Kol Chole Yisrael, will have a complete and enduring refuah. And mostly with that, let us begin. So we have a lot to do today, Baruch Hashem. Today's daf is Nun Dalit 54, but we are actually picking up on Nun Gimel Amad Beis. We left off pretty much like in the, in the middle of the daf here, Tanu Rabbanon. Tanu Rabbanon. So if you see where the Mishnah is, it's about uh, two, four, six lines up from the Mishnah. So, Tan Rabbanam. To us, remember again, the Divri Hamaschil over here was talking about, was talking about that Tvila Kitzara, that when the Kohen Gadol would emerge from the Kodesh HaKadoshim, the, the Mishnah said that he would utter a short prayer. And again, we saw, it's incredible, we saw in yesterday's daf, the nature of that short prayer, that pretty much most of it was related to the Gashmias of Klal Yisrael. Right? If it's going to be a hot year, it should be a rainy year. Klavisel shouldn't require each other. But ultimately, he leaves off with saying, do not listen to the tefillah of the Ovre Jirachim, which was incredibly, incredibly profound. Do not go ahead and listen to the tefillah of the travelers, because the travelers would daven that HaKadosh Baruch Hu would withhold the rain, but Klavisel needed the rain. We saw the beautiful Sir Rabbi Hanina Ben Dosa. And with that, the Gemara picks up. So, Tan Rabbanon. So the Gemara says as follows. So Tan Rabbanon, Maisa bekoin gadol. I'm sorry, Maisa bekoin gadol echad sheherich betfilaso. So the Gemara says as follows. There was one time one of the Kohanim Gedolim who prolonged his tefila. So in other words, remember again, the Mishnah is quite explicit in saying that it's a tefila kitzara. It's supposed to be a short prayer. So one time one of the Kohanim Gedolim took their time. Venimnu echav hakohanim likanis acharav. And the other Kohanim said, you know what? We're going to go ahead and go in and find out what's going on. Remember, again, I will say, as I mentioned in yesterday's daf, when the Kohen Godel is doing his avoda inside the Kodesh HaKadoshim, no one else is inside of the Mikdash. So no one really knows what's happening. So they go ahead and they realize that they, they obviously, they knew the amount of time, normal time that it would take for the Kohen Godel to do the avoda of the Kitores. So some amount of time elapses. They get nervous. They get nervous. So it's interesting, I will say, the Marsha comments on this. They were scared. Maybe he's a tzduki. We knew this guy all this time. Maybe he was a tzduki. And what happened if he was a tzduki? What happened? It means he was probably dead. Right? Because remember, again, we saw the tzduki would go ahead and kindle the Kitoris outside of outside of the Kito, of the Kodesh. So maybe uh, they were afraid that something had happened to him. So what happens? So this is incredible. As they're going in to get him, he's coming out. So they said to him, what are you doing? Right? Why did you prolong your tefillah? 
Why did you prolong your tefillah? Right, you know, it's supposed to be a tefillah kitzara. So why did you prolong your tefillah? Amr lahem kasha be'inechem shispalati alechem va'abes hamikdash shalayicharev. Tov said, this is so profound. So the koygadol gets angry. Are you upset at me that I was davening for all of you and about the Beis Hamikdash that it should not be destroyed? So obviously, again, we're talking about over here, presumably Second Temple era, where unfortunately, again, things were beginning to downward spiral. So the Kohanim come in, they're all upset at the Kohen Gadol. Where have you been? The Kohen Gadol said, really, you bright gifts at me? I've been davening for you. I've been davening for Kal Yisrael. I've been davening for the Beis Hamikdash. And you're upset at me. So look what they say. Amrulo. Don't do it again. Don't do it again. Don't do this. Why? Because after all, again, we learned in the Mishnah. We learned in the Mishnah that Allah, you're not supposed to go ahead and prolong the tefillah lest you go ahead and cause Cloud Yisrael to fear. Right? So remember again. So they say back to the Kohen we appreciate your tefillah. But at the end of the day, this is not something you're supposed to do. And I will say, as we saw two days ago, when we mentioned this, this concept, there is a profound lesson in this, which is that one must make sure that their bein adam l'makom does not come at the expense of their bein adam l'chavero. That I have an obligation to forge a meaningful relationship with HaKadosh Baruch Hu, But I have to make sure that that meaningful relationship does not come at the expense of my interpersonal behavior. You know, sometimes, unfortunately, people think that in the pursuit of a meaningful relationship with God, I have license to trample upon others. But it does not work that way. Right? At the end of the day, even in the pursuit of the most meaningful, even if you're the coin Gadol on Yom Kippur, even if you're the coin Gadol on Yom Kippur, you still have to keep in mind that there are other people who are worrying about you. Right? They will say, you would think, you come out whenever you're ready. You're going to dive in, dive into your heart's content. No, people are standing out there worrying. You have to be mindful of that. An incredible yisod. Be mindful of the feelings of others, even in the pursuit of your relationship with Hashem. Beautiful. Mishnah. Mishanita Aaron. So we'll say when the Aaron was gone, remember again, so as we saw in yesterday's daf already, during the second base on Mikdash, there was, already remember again, before the, during the end of this first Beis HaMikdash, the Aron was hidden away. Remember again, we saw in yesterday's daf, who hid it away? Who hid it away? King Yoshio, good. King Yoshio hides it away. Again, we'll see an interesting Machlogis is about to occur. But here's what we know. Certainly, all of Second Temple era, there was no Aron. There was no Ark. So the Gemara says, Mishanetil Aron, Evan Haisa Sham Mimos Nevim Harishonim, Ushesia Haisa Nikres. So I'll say this is very interesting. The Mishnah tells us that the Aron did not sit on the ground. Instead, the Aron actually sat on a, what we'll call for lack of a better term, like a stone. But it's not just on the stone. It's probably better stated as like a stone platform. And that stone platform was called the Evan Shesia. That was the name, the Evan Shesia. So again, it was, it was the Dome of the Rock, right? The Dome of the Rock. The Rock that's referred to over there is the rock upon which the Aron used to sit. So that's the Evan Shesia. So the Gemara says, It was three finger breaths off the ground. And the Aron was situated upon that stone. So we'll say, so again, even though there's no Aron in the second base, the Evan Shesia, that stone was present. 
So the Gemara says, and we're going to see also means not only was the arm placed there, but all the sprinkling of blood that would have normally been done, all the sprinkling of blood that would have normally been done by the Aron or on the Aron was simply done in that same makom by the Evan Shesiyah. Not the less Hadam. So we'll say now jumping back to the Avoda. The Kongoda would take the dam of the par. He would take the blood of the par. From the person who was stirring it. Because remember again, we'll say, we, we, will, we will shortly go through. I mentioned to you that the Rambam in Hilchos Yom Kippur and Parak Talad Halacha Aleph goes through the entire sequence of the Avoda. So we'll put this all together in the Rambam. But if you remember again, the Kohen Gadol shechted the par, and then the par service was kind of put on hold a little bit till after the Ketoras. Now the Ketoras was done, he would go back to get the blood of the par. Remember again what was happening with the blood of the par this entire time? It was being stirred, right? Where was it being stirred? Fourth step outside of the Beis Hamikdash. That's where the Memar is, that's where the stir is going ahead and standing. So now the Kohen Gadol goes back, gets the blood of the par, and we show Memaris he would go back, he would go back to the place where he stood, or he would go back to the place where he had entered and stand in the place where he stood. So so again, what, what is that a reference to? You see, it's interesting. You have to remember, and, and we do remember this because we see this in the Seder Ha'avoda every year in Musaf of Yom Kippur, but essentially, the Kohen Gadol, we often think Kohen Gadol would only go into the Kodesh HaKadashim once on Yom Kippur for the Ketorah service. It's not true. We're going to see it goes in and out a couple of times. So when it says, Nichnas he goes back into the place where he's standing. That means he goes now with the blood of the par and he goes into the Kodesh HaKadashim. And he stands where he stood. That's a reference once again to the Kodesh HaKadashim. Because we also remember again, where does the Kohen Gadol stand in the Kodesh HaKadashim? Where does he stand? Remember again, he stands, because remember, he, he entered on the left, right, the curtain, second, first outer curtain. He entered to the left, which was the southern side of the curtain, walks towards the north, walks in on the north side of the curtain, then walks, then hangs a left, right, walking back down south. So the curtain is on his left. And then what does he do? He turns with his back towards the curtain. So the coin Gadol is essentially facing east, or facing west, I should say. Right? He's facing west, facing west, back to the curtain. So that's what it means. He goes back, he goes back and stands in the place where he was standing. And he sprinkles the blood. One time above and seven times below. So, we'll say, so when there was an Aron, when there was an Aron, the one time above means towards the area of the kapores, of the lid of the Aron, that's the above, and the below is below the kapores, below the lid of the Aron. Now we're going to see, he does not sprinkle blood on, it sounds like he sprinkles blood on the Aron. It's not sprinkling blood on the Aron, but rather again, it's more of a directional statement. He sprinkles the blood one time above in the direction and at the height of the lid of the Aron, and ultimately again, then seven times below the lid of the Aron. And we'll say he didn't literally go ahead and apply the blood above and below, but rather he 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 applied the blood kimatzlif. We saw this expression before. Matzlif means like a literally like 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 a whip. Like he would go ahead and just well we'll we'll see in the gemara what it means. The kachayamona, and we'll say this is incredible, and this is how you would count achos, right? Achos achos was for the first one on top of the kapores. Achas v'yachas, achas v'shtayin, achas v'shalosh, achas v'arba, achas v'chamesh, 
Achas v'sheish, achas v'sheva. Well, this is so beautiful. So remember again, now, now you appreciate the counting. The achas is the first, the first blood application, the first sprinkling, which was done above. Remember again, above means at the height of the kapores, at the height of the lid of the aron. So that he would keep count, he would do achas, okay, that's one. Then achas v'achas. Achas v'achas was the second one, right, was the second one out of the sequence, but the first one below the lid, below the lid. So that again, achas. Achas v'shtayim. So the achas was the one at the height of the kapores, and then again, shtayim, below. So that's how we just keep count. This way he would know exactly where he was up to. Incredible. Yatzav v'hinichu al-kanazah. So we'll say now, the Kohen Gadol would leave the Kodesh HaKadoshim. Now remember, there was still par blood. So what would he do with the par blood? There was a kanazav. There was a, there was a gold stand inside of the mikdash. This is right outside of the kapore. Right, right outside of the parochas. Again, kapores is the lid of the aron. Parochas is... Parochas is the, the curtain, right? So he would come out of the Kodesh HaKadoshim and right outside of the Kodesh HaKadoshim was a golden stand. He would place the cup or the receptacle with the par blood in that golden stand. Then they would bring him the sayer, the goat. Shachto, he would shach the goat. The kibel b'mizrak es damo. And he would go ahead and receive the blood in a bowl. Mizrak is, is a bowl. Nichnas l'makom shenichnas. And I will say once again, what does he do with the blood of the sire? He goes back into the Kodesh HaKadoshim. So also we're going to see the Kodesh actually goes into the Kodesh HaKadoshim on Yom Kippur a total of three times. Once for the Ketores, once for the Dam of the Par, and now a third time for the Dam of the sire. And with the Dam of the sire, he repeats the same exact process. So we'll say, same exact process with the dam of the Sawyer as, as he performed with the dam of the par. He comes out with the, remainder, with the remainder of the blood. And he places it on the golden stand. There were two golden stands. Right, one to hold the, dam, the remaining dam of the par, and one to hold the remaining dam of the sawyer. Rabbi Huda disagrees. He says no. There was only one stand, and therefore not dam So listen to this, because the truth is, Rabbi Huda holds, you never had a need for two stands because you were always using one of the bloods. You are always using one of the bloods. So the Gemara says, so for example, when the Kohen Gadol would emerge back out of the, out of the, out of the Kodesh Kodesh from the third time, so now he finished sprinkling the blood of the par, what would he do? He would then go ahead and take the, I'm sorry, he would finish sprinkling the dam of the, the dam of the sawyer. He would then go back, take the dam of the par, and what would he do with it? Another act of sprinkling. Where would this sprinkling be done? I will say this sprinkling was done opposite the parochas, opposite the curtain. So now again, remember, this is outside of the Kodesh HaKadoshim. He's taking the remaining dam of the par, sprinkling it opposite the parochas. And again, once again, Once again, I will say, all sprinklings are done with this sequence. Once above, seven below. So I will say, so again, that's how he would go ahead and then use the dam par again. Then, he would go back and take the Dama Sawyer. Not the Dama Sawyer, the Hiniach Dama Par. Then he would go ahead and take the Dama of the Sawyer. 
put down the dam of the par. Once again, there be a sprinkling. Once above, seven below. And they both said this was the process. So, so just to kind of consolidate this, the Kohen Gadol would go ahead and do the do the Ketores, come out from the Ketores, take the dam of the par, go into the Kodesh HaKadoshim, go ahead and do the sprinkling, right? A total of eight, eight times. Once above, seven below, come out of the Kodesh HaKadoshim, put the remaining par blood in the stand, shecht the sayer, get the blood of the sayer, take the blood inside of the Kodesh HaKadoshim, same thing, seven, eight sprinklings in total, once above, seven below, come back out. Now we have a machlokis, where there are two stands or one stand. Okay, it, we'll, we'll, we'll discuss where that machlokis comes from. In any event, after he comes out of the, uh, after he comes out of the Kodesh HaKadoshim, with the dam of the sa'ir, he then picks up the dam of the par again, does another set of sprinklings, this time outside of the Kodesh HaKadoshim, on the paroches, or again, corresponding to the, corresponding to the curtain, right opposite the aron. He does that with the dam of the par, puts down the dam of the par, does that same thing with the dam of the sa'ir. At this point in time, the sprinklings are over. What does the Kohen Gadol do with the remaining blood? Because there was always remaining blood. At this point in time, the Kohen, Kohen Gadol goes ahead and combines the two bloods. Right, He pours literally again the Dama Par into the Dama of the Sayer and then puts the receptacles one into the other. This is why Rabbi Huda says you never really needed more than one stand. Because halacha lamaisa, you are always what? You are always what? Using one of the bloods, right? You are always doing that. And then at the end of the process, anyway, you poured them together and put one clean to the other, so you really only needed one stand. Incredible. Both say, I'm going to show you something now in the Gemara, and I know a number of you have remarked the excitement about seeing the Gemara from yesterday's daf about uh, walking backwards, right, with different things. So there's a lot of things that we see in the daft that are just things that we know, things that we know, but it's incredible to see where they come from. So the are supposed to look at this Gemara. You might not know this, but this is an incredible machlokas. Look at the Gemara. The Gemara makes a startling observation. The Gemara, the Mishnah does not say when the Aaron was hidden away. Instead, what does it say? When the Aaron was taken when the Arun was taken. Why does it say when it was taken? It should say when it was hidden away. To which the Gemara says, Wow. Because of us, it is a machlokis. Not everyone agrees with what we learned yesterday, that the Arun was hidden away by King Yoshio. But in fact, some say that the Arun was actually taken with the destruction of the first Beis HaMikdosh. That the reason why there was no Ark in the second Beis HaMikdosh was not because it was hidden away, but because it was taken by Bavel when they destroyed the first Beis HaMikdosh. So the Gemara says, the son of Eliezer, Omer, Aaron, Galal, Bavel. Eliezer says that the Aaron was exiled to Bavel. So the Navi makes reference over here to the fact that Nebuchadnezzar took the clay chemdas, the beautiful kalim of the base Hashem. And ultimately, Rabbi Lezer understands that to mean the Aron. Rabbi Shimon Yochai Omer, Aron Galal Rashbi, 
also says the arn was taken to Babel. Shenemar, lo yivaser davar Amar Hashem, Eidu Aser Sadibro Shabo. Nothing will be left over. Hakadosh Baruch Hu says that refers even to the Ten Commandments. In other words, the, the luchos that were housed in the arn. Yehuda ben Lakish Omer, arn bim komon ignas. Rish Lakish says no. The arn was not exiled. Rather, the arn was hidden away. Shenemar, vayiru Rashi Abadim in Hakadosh al pnei Adivir, falayira chutzav v'yisham ad hayom hazeh. So we'll say Rish Lakish says. That the Pazik says they saw the, the poles themselves that extended into the curtain. We'll discuss this more. But the poles of the Aron actually protruded into the curtain. Such when you were standing on the other side of the parochas of the Kodesh HaKadoshim, you saw the poles extending into the, into the, into the curtain. And it is there in the Mikdash until this day. Reish Lakish understands that Adayomazeh literally means that the Aron is in the Mikdash compound until this day. Not in the Kodesh HaKadosh but until this day. We'll say a dramatic machlokas. A dramatic machlokas. What happened to the Aron? Was the Aron hidden away by King Yoshio like we learned in yesterday's daf? Or was the Aron actually taken by, the, by, the, by, by, by Bavel when they went ahead and destroyed the base of Mikdash? Absolutely overwhelming and incredible. Pliga de Ulo. And if this argues on Ula, what did Ula say? Demar Ula, Shor Rabbi Masya ben Kharash, Rabbi Shimon Yochai Baromi. Well, listen to this. Rabbi Masya ben Kharash asked Rashbi in Rome. Asked Rashbi in Rome. I want to point out, Rabbi Masya ben Kharash was uh, in Pirkei says says, um, um, have a maktim as, um, Okay, I forgot. I forgot. Lashon the Mishnah. Rav holds that uh, that you're supposed to greet every person with a smiling countenance. Um, okay, Rav Masi ben Charash. started the first yeshiva in Rome. So that's why, again, when it says in Rome, Rav Masi ben Charash started the first yeshiva in Rome. So the Gemara says as follows: Hashem. Shnia Gimar says, so that which we learned, that which we learned, that according to Rashbi, the Arn was taken ultimately again to Bavel. So I understand the first Pasik. The first Pasik is the one we quoted. Shnia Mahi, what's the second Pasik that makes reference to this? Tirsiv, Vayetzimibas, Sion Tap of Nundalit, Kal Haddara. The Pasik in Echa says that Basion lost all of her beauty. My Kal Haddara, Chaddara. We'll say, so instead of reading it, Hadara, her beauty, Hadara, she lost that which was kept in the room. What's a reference to that which was kept in the room? A reference to the Aron, which was kept in the Kodesh HaKadoshim. So the Gemara says, Ata, Mayata Omer. So what do you say to this? Amrlo, Shani Omer, Arnrim Komonignas. I hold that the Aron, in fact, was hidden away in its very place. In the Mikdash, Shneemar, Vayarichu Habadim. So we'll say, because the Pasuk says, Now what they're focusing on that Pasuk, when the Pasuk says that the poles of the Aron extended into the curtain, it says, and they extended into the curtain, and they're there, until this day. Now obviously, no one's interpreting it to mean, to actually mean that the Aron is situated in the Kodesh HaKadoshim, but rather what they're trying to understand is, means the Aron is in the Mikdash. It's somewhere in the Mikdash compound, 
So you're picking up on the fact that the phrase is until this very day. But come on, do you really believe that when the Pasik says until this very day, that it literally means until present, like right now? In other words, we view it more as an expression. It's more of an expression, something everlasting, something happening for a long time. But love dafka, that it's actually literal until today. So the Gemara says, Vaksiv, I'll give you examples of this. That Adayomazah does not literally mean until today. Dixiv, Vaksiv, Ves Hayevusi Yoshev Yerushalayim, Lohorishu Bnei Binyamin, Vayeshev Hayevusi Es Bnei Binyamin Yerushalayim, Ad Hayom Hazeh. So the Gemara says, for example, that the Shevet of Binyamin was unsuccessful in, under Yoshua in driving the Yevusi out of Yerushalayim. And the Yevusi lived in Yerushalayim at Hayom Hazeh. Is that true? Are the Yevusi in Yerushalayim at Hayom Hazeh? I, after all. So the Gemara says, Do you think that that means that the Yevusi are still there? Rabbi Yehuda, there were 52 years of Osai. Where, where the area, the tribal area of Yehuda was desolate. No <laughs> one was there. No one lived there. So the Gemara is where do you get? So it says it was desolate, desolate. Even behemoths, even animals did not traverse the area. And behemoth, the numerical value of behemoth, is 52. So again, what's the point? The point over here is the Pasuk makes it sound that the Yevusi are in Yerushalayim until today. But again, we know that that's not true. There was a period of time where no one was there. Where no one was there. Certainly, the Yevusi is not there either. Furthermore, again, I both say, ultimately, you're going to remember, you know, well, good, good. But Tanya, Rabbi Yossi, Rabbi Yossi says, we'll say, second wide line, Nun Dalet Amadalef. In the aftermath of in the aftermath of the destruction of the Beis Hamikdash and the Babylonian exile, there are periods of time where Eretz Yisrael was mamish desolate, desolate. So Rabbi Yossi says, "Sheva shanim niskaima gafres v'melach ba'aretz Eretz Yisrael." There was there was a seven years. There was gafres v'melach. The gafres v'melach literally means sulfur and salt. Which just represents utter desolation in Eretz Yisrael. I'm Rabbi Yochanan. My time with Rabbi Yossi. Where does Rabbi Yossi get this from? Asya bris bris. He makes exer shava bris bris. Siv hacha vehegver bris. I'm sorry. Quotes over here. The pasuk from Daniel. Vehegver bris larabim shavua echad. Viksiv hasam vaamru alasher ozvu es bris Hashem aloki abosam. All right. Amrli hacha ksiv sham hasam lo ksiv sham. It says, here's the difference. Ultimately, in the first Pasuk, it says, Sham there. It doesn't say Sham. One second. So what the Gemara is suggesting is like this. No, no, no. When it says, that doesn't necessarily mean that it's for eternity. But when it says, Sham, that whatever the item in question was there, Sham, that means the item or the people in question are there until present day. So the Gemara says, is that true? The other one was that true. So whenever it says and Sham and Sham, that means that the people or the entity is there mamish until this very day. So Mesar is a kasha. 
Anoshim Chamesh Meosu Plateau Nara Urafaev Uziel Beneishi Berosham Vayako Sheris Aplata La Amalik Vayesh Vusham Ad Hayom Hazel. Supposedly, the Gemara records the Pasik from Divri Hayomim, speaking about again that members of the tribe of Shimon, of Bene Shimon, went to Harseir, dispossessed the people, or conquered the people who were living there, and occupied the area. And they stayed there, Adayamazah. So the Gemara says, so it says, they were Sham, they were there, Adayamazah. So the Gemara says, really? So, so do we take that to mean that they're there until today? But remember again, we know that Sancheirev, the king of Ashur, came along in what? Mixed up all of the nations already. So that people were not situated in the areas in which they, which they previously lived. Shene'emar, quotes over here, the Pasuk from, again, Debrei Hayamim. Uh, no, sorry, from Yishayahu. Va'asir gevulos amim. Va'atudosehem soseisi. So the Gemara says, You are correct. So we'll say, they refute this idea. So therefore, again, what turns out is, interestingly enough, that halacha lemaisa, the raya, that the aron was, that the aron is in its place, based on ad hayom hazeh, that seems to be refuted. Now it happens to be the Rambam Paskins, like the first version, not like Rashbi, but like what we saw yesterday, the Rambam Paskins, that the Arn was actually hidden in place, right? With the subterranean, there was a subterranean chamber that was constructed by Shlomo HaMelech, and King Yoshio hides the Arun when he begins to see that the destruction, excuse me, of Yerushalayim was imminent. But interestingly enough, that seems to be based much more on Masora and on the Pasuk that we actually quoted in yesterday's daf, and not, not really based on this idea of Ad Hayom Azeh. Because what the Gemara has successfully proven is that even when it says Ad Hayom Hazeh, even if it uses the word Sham, that's much more of what? Of an expression than it is an actual statement of fact. Incredible. So Amr so Rav Nachman, Tana, V'chachamim Omrim, Aron Belishkas Dir Eitzim Hayagana. So also listen to this. The Chachamim hold, that again, with the approach that the Aron was hidden inside of the Beis Hamikdash compound. But I will say what the Chachamim add in over here is, we know exactly where the Aron was hidden. That's my Beis Hamikdash picture. Okay. We know exactly where the Beis Hamikdash, where the Aron was, where the Aron was hidden. And where was the Aron hidden? The Aron was hidden in a place called the Lishkas Deir Ha'etzim, which I will say is this Lishka, is this chamber right over here. Right, this is where wood was kept for the base I mean, so Remember again what happened in this Lishka. So as we're going to see, Kohanim who were Baali Mumin, right? Kohanim who were blemished and therefore unable to go ahead and work in the base Amikdosh would work over here to go ahead and deworm wood. That was their job. So the Gemara Nazim suggests that the base Amikdosh itself was hidden in the Lishka's dear Eitzim. So let's listen to this. Amrab Nachman Bar Yitzchak. Afana Namitanina. We learned this as well. So the Gemara says, One time there was a Kohen who was Misasek. Now we'll say Misasek means he was busying himself with really unnecessary stuff. Right? No, you know what the better word is? Preoccupied. Right? He was preoccupied. So what happened? So the Gemara says, So literally, he's a shtickle board, preoccupied. So what does he do? He goes ahead and he realizes that one of the floor tiles is different than the other ones. 
Isn't that interesting? He realizes that one of the floor tiles is different than the other ones. So what happens? He goes and he grabs his friends, right? He goes, right? He gets his chaver. He says, look, you want to see something strange? And he didn't even get to relay the information until what? Before he had passed away. So the Gemara said, So what's interesting about this story is they, they had a Masora that the Aaron was hidden somewhere in the Mikdash. But they did not know where. This coin stumbles upon something. And it was Msasek. Sibel said, you, you know, why does the Gemara have to bring down that he was preoccupied with something? Because also what the Gemara is saying is like this. You know, it's always important to remain on task and to remain focused on important things. Because if you allow yourself to get distracted, you often get involved in things that are unimportant and often counterproductive. It's an incredible you sowed in life. See here, what was this going for? He wasn't doing anything bad. Right? It's not like he was doing something. He was just preoccupied. Preoccupied. Don't get preoccupied in life. Don't, or, or don't get distracted in life. Because when you get distracted, you get caught up in all the wrong stuff. An incredible use. So stay on task. Stay on point. Remain directed in whatever it is that you have to accomplish. So the Gemara says, what happened? The Gemara tells another story. The other shrine, my hobby, so my, so the Gemara says, my hava Ovid, what was he doing? Rebbe <laughs> just says, what was he distracted with? Just out of curiosity. So we're getting now distracted with the story, right? So I say, so now, brother, what was he doing? What was he doing that was just so distracting and so preoccupying? So the Gemara says, I'm Rabbi Chalbo, Misasik Pikardu Mahaya. He was playing with his axe. He was playing with his axe, right? Whatever it is, you know. So, so again, I will say, not, not, nothing, Elisa, so I just want to point out this incredible Musr in this. Incredible Musr. Don't get distracted in life because when you get distracted, when you get distracted, you just get focused on all the wrong things. So turn to Rabbi So we'll say another story. Sim- similar, again, all pointing to the same idea that the Aaron was hidden in the deer Eitzim, just different stories highlighting how that came to be known. So the Gemara says, one time there are two Kohanim Bali women, two blemished Kohanim, remember again, because that was their job, they would deworm wood. So the Gemara says, they were deworming wood in the, in the deer eats. And the Nishmetah, Kardumo Shal Echem, I both say it's incredible. One of them dropped their axe. And what happened? The Nafla Sham, it fell on the floor. And apparently what ended up happening was it like punctured the floor a little bit. Or it must have cracked the stone. So the Gemara says, Viyatza Sa'ish, a fire came out of the ground, va'achlaso, and it consumed the axe. It consumed the axe. They will say that's how they saw. That's how they saw that. Obviously, I mean, they pointed to the fact that the iron was buried in the lishkas dir eitzim. Rav Yehuda Ramiksiv vayiru Rashi Abadim oksiv loyrachutzas. We'll say now jumping back for just a moment. So now that we pretty much established that the majority opinion is that the iron was hidden in the base hamikdash chamber. And not only that, but apparently we even know the location. It was underneath the Lishkas Deer Eitzim. Right? That, that's where it was. So the Gemara now tells another story. So the Gemara says, well, not a story, but contrast something. Rabbi Yehuda says, on one end, the Pazik says, Vayur Rashi Abadim. The Pazik seems to indicate that the general populace were able to see the poles of the Aron. But yet, Uksiv, Velo Yira but yet the Pasuk then says that the, that the poles, for that matter, the rest of the Aaron as well, could not be seen on the outside. So Haqqid said, Nirin ve'ino nirin. So you see that the poles were seen, but yet could not be seen. 
What does this mean? Taina Rakhabai that supports this. Vayira Shabadim. So we'll say the Pasik says they saw the poles. Yacholo Yuzazim Koma, and you might have thought that the poles could not be moved from their place. Therefore, the Pasik says that ultimately, again, the Badim were extended. So here's the interesting halacha with the Badim, with the, with the poles, is you were never permitted to remove them from the Aron, but you were permitted to slide them within their rings. Remember, again, the Badim were not fixed in place. They were slid through golden rings. So what the Gemara says over here is that when the Aron was situated in the Kodesh HaKadoshim, it appears that they would slide the poles forward. You'll see why in just a moment. And you might have thought that maybe the poles pierce through, pierce through the parochas, pierce through the parochas, ultimately again, and come through. And therefore, but the positive is they shall not be seen on the outside. So which one is it? Well, so again, we've seen them contradictory psukim, because the psukim seem to indicate to us that you can see the poles, and then other psukim say you can't see the poles. So which one is it? So the Gemara says, ubaltin so the Gemara says what happened was is that the poles would press against and protrude from the curtain and produce the outline of the poles. Just like the chest of the woman, right? That you could, you could see the outline of, of, of the woman's breasts from, from the outside of her shirt. So, so too the Gemara says over here, you could see the outline of the poles from the parochas. Shene Amar, Srar Hamar Dodili, it's quite beautiful, actually. Kashir which in general is a very enigmatic work. And it's sometimes hard to understand. So the Gemara said, literally, Tzor Hamar means a bundle of myrrh. Dodi Li, Dodi Li, is my beloved. Bein Shadayalin. Between the Shadayim, he rests. So we'll say, what's the allusion to the Shadayim? So the Gemara says that the poles extended out of the parochas, Ultimately, again, like the Shaddai, I will say, it's actually, the, the metaphor is actually incredible because what, what it's talking about over here is something that you know is present and that you could see in a certain way, but you can't see in its totality. So the, the, the ability to see the presence of the Aron was there. Right, everyone could see because even Yisrael could see into the code, could see into the Kodesh, could see into the Kodesh, so you could see the protrusions. So the words, the, the, you could see with your own eyes that the Aron was there. But yet again, the nature of the holiness of the Aron, the intimate part of what that Kli represented in the relationship with Hashem and Am Yisrael was hidden behind the curtain. So you could see his presence. You could see his presence. You could see it pushing out against the curtain, but yet the rest of the Aron you could not actually see. Pretty incredible. So the Gemara says, Amrav Ketina, both listen to this. Bishasha Yisrael, Olin L'Regel, both say this is so beautiful. When Klal Yisrael would come for Aliyah L'Regel, Pesach, Shavuot, Sokis, Megalilin Lahenes HaParochas, the Kohanim would roll back, they would pull back the curtains. Umarin Lahem Esakruvim, Shemurin Zebazeh. And they would show them the Kruvim. We'll say, so now remember again, let's take a step back. The Kruvim, were the two cherub-like, angelic-like figures perched on top of the Aron. So I will say, the Kruvim are quite fascinating in general in terms of what they looked like, right? Children, adults. Now, the Gemara is going with the approach over here that the Kruvim looked, one was male and one was female. So the Gemara says something amazing, that during the Ali of the Raga, what would happen is the Kohanim would pull back the curtains, right? You wouldn't take out the Aron, but they would pull back the curtains so that Kali Yisrael could see into the Kodesh HaKadoshim. And what would they see? What would they see? They would see the Kruvim locked in an embrace. 
Isn't that incredible? They would see the Kruvim embracing each other. Murim zeva zeva omrim lahem. Ruchi baschem lefneamakam. See how much Hakadosh Baruch Hu loves you. Kichibas zachar unekeva. Like the love that a man loves a woman. Shabbos said, this is incredible because, you know, the Rambam, the Rambam in Hilchos Deos, writes about this as well, really based on this Gemara, the Rambam writes that there's a mitzvah of you have to love Hashem, you have to love Hashem. And the Rambam says, how are you supposed to love Hashem? So the Rambam quotes this Gemara, Kechibas like a man loves a woman. The Rambam says, and it's so beautiful, the Rambam says, what does it mean, what happens when a man loves a woman? When a man falls in love with a woman, he cannot stop thinking about her. He's preoccupied with her. She's always on his mind. You see, the love that we strive to have with HaKadosh Baruch Hu is not a platonic love, right? It's not a love of friends. It's not a love of siblings. It's not even a love of a parent to a child. It's the love of, of a spouse. It's the love of marriage. It's a passionate love. It's a love in which I always just want to be with this individual. A love that I want to go ahead and, and constantly be physically together, right? My, my arms around that and that's the love. That's the love that we are supposed to establish with the Rebona Shalom. And therefore the Kruvim gave physical and the Kruvim said, look how much HaKadosh Baruch Hu loves you. And look how you're supposed to love HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Kichibas Zachar Unekeva. Incredible. Masir Rav Chista. V'lo yavol liros kibalas HaKadosh. But this is very interesting. Because we learned that you're not supposed to look at the kalim of the Beis HaMikdash. Right? You're not supposed to gaze upon the Aron. After all, the Gemara says, V'am Rav Yehuda Amarav, B'Shas Hachnosas Kalim Lenartek Shalahem. But also listen to this. In the desert, when they would move the Mikdash, you know what would happen? The Levim were charged with carrying, carrying the utensils. But remember, before the Levim would come and carry, what would happen? The Kohanim would come and cover everything because no one was permitted to gaze upon the Aron. So what's happening? All right? And again, it's next week's parasha. It's Kahas. Kahas was in charge of going ahead. And it was Naso. Kahas was in charge of, of going ahead and carrying the Aron. But first the Kohanim would come along and cover the Aron. So what are you talking about? The Kohanim would just roll, you just tell me the Kohanim would just roll back the curtain and everybody would look at the Aron. But how could that be? So this is beautiful. The Gemara says, this is beautiful. Amr Rav Nachman, Rav Nachman says, no, no, no. Masha Lakala could be compared to a bride. So let's listen to this. A bride, when she's living in her father's home. Now what that means, what does it mean when she's living in her father's home? So, we'll say, so often, they would remember, they, we do Kiddushin and Nisu, and we do everything together under the Chuppah. But Bismani Gimara, they would often be up to a year in between Kiddushin and Nisuin. So they would do Kiddushin, and what would happen? The girl would go back and live with her family, because you can't live with your wife until after Nisuin. So they would do Kiddushin, and she would go back and live with her father's home. So the Gemara says, you know, when the Kala lives in her father's home, she's very modest from her husband. Right? Which makes sense. They're not yet living together. But what happened? Listen to this Gemara. The Gemara says, Kevan Shabbos al But once she comes to her father-in-law's home, in other words, it was common for a newly married couple to live with the husband's parents. So once she marries, her husband lives with her husband. She's no longer so modest. She's not, she doesn't have to be modest from her husband. So the Gemara says something so beautiful. In the desert, in the desert, we were like newlyweds with HaKadosh Baruch There was Kiddushin. There was Kiddushin. Right? And therefore, again, the Kala was very Tznua. HaKadosh Baruch was very Tznua. No one could gaze upon the Aron. But once we came to the Mikdash, that was like, again, living together in the father-in-law's home. And therefore, again, we were permitted to gaze upon the Aron. A truly beautiful idea. Representing the idea that in the relationship with Hashem, 
there are different levels of intimate connection. There are times, ultimately, again, where we're like betrothed to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, there's like Kiddushin, and then there are times of Nisuin. And the nafkamina between those two times is that when there's Kiddushin, there's still a little bit of distance, but when there's Nisuin, there is this incredible intimacy that brings us together in a dramatic way. Masa Ravchana Barakatin, Barakatina, Maisa Vekwainah Hashayim Misaseik, Brother One Segar will say, What about the story we just said before? That there was the Kohen Gadol who was one time playing with his axe. And what happened? He realized the difference in the floor. And what happened? And what happened? He died, which means he wasn't permitted. Well, through the two stories. In the second story, they breached, uh, they, breached the, uh, they breached the floor and the fire came out. Either way, what you're seeing over here is they weren't given permission to look upon the Aron. And yet this was in the times of the Beis HaMikdash. You're positing that when there's a Beis HaMikdash, it's like Nisuin. And when it's like Nisuin, you could gaze upon the Aron. But here we just saw two stories where there was a Beis HaMikdash. They were not permitted to gaze upon the Aron, to which the Gemara says... So here's the difference. These stories happen in the second temple era. What happened with the destruction of the first base HaMikdash? What happened? There was a divorce. There was a divorce. Second base HaMikdash came, there was a reconciliation. But even once there's a reconciliation in the aftermath of divorce, it's not the same. It's not the same, the Gemara says. There's still, there's still a little bit, there's still a little bit, ultimately, again, of a distance that was there, which I will say, this is, this is representative of the second base HaMikdash in general, that as much as there was a reconciliation and we came back together, it was not the same as before. Which I will say, if you think about, is such an incredibly dramatic yisod in the concept of Shalom Bayis. Why is it so important to do whatever you can to preserve your Shalom Bayis? Because everyone in marriage knows that when you have a dramatic fallout, as much as you can reconcile, it's usually not the same. It's not the same. Now, sometimes it could be better because again, sometimes it exposed relationship fault lines. But very often, even when people are able to get back together, there's baggage. There's baggage from that. And there's, there's, there's residual. People like to think that we can move on. You can always move on. But moving on never means forgetting. I always remember I could forgive you, but I never forget. Generally, we never forget what's happened to us. Such an incredible yisod. There was a rupture in the marriage of Cloud Yisrael and HaKadosh Baruch, which resulted in the divorce, the Chorben Bayes Rishon. And even though we reconciled, there was Chorben Bayes Sheni. It was Chorben Bayes Sheni. I'm sorry, there was Bayes Sheni. It wasn't the same. It wasn't the same. I will say, that's the miracle of Bayes Shlishi. Right? You know what the miracle of Bayes Shlishi is? The miracle of Bayes Shlishi is not only will there be a third base Amikdash, but their relationship will be totally restored. Chadesh Yamenu Kikedem. Their relationship will be restored to what it was prior to the fallout, right? Prior to the rupture, prior to the negativity. That's the miracle of Mashiach. That we rebuild the base of Mikdash. Well, that's not a miracle. We could rebuild the base of Mikdash tomorrow, or not tomorrow, Shabbos, but today, or actually wait till Sunday. But, I will say, but, but again, you know, we could rebuild the base. That, that's, not, that's not the big deal of Gula. The big deal of Gula is the restoration of the relationship to the state of, to the pre traumatic state. So I might ask, you know, what's the case? Well, say, if there was a Mikdash Rishon, if there was a Mikdash, there was no Parochas. Elba Mikdash so, we'll say, so we're trying to go back for just a moment. The Gemara said that they would go ahead and roll back the curtain of the, of the Kodesh HaKadosh and the Karnam would do that to show the people during the Regalim, look how much Kodesh Baruch Hu loves you. So the Gemara says, when did that story happen? If it was the Mikdash Rishon, it can't be the Mikdash Rishon, why not? There was no curtain, there was a wall. There was a wall. If it was the Mikdash Sheni, 
Mihabu Kruvim. Well, so there were no Kruvim during the second base of Mikdash. Why no Kruvim? Why no Kruvim? There was no Aron, to which the Gemara says, the Olam B'Mikdash Rishon. In reality, it was Mikdash Rishon. Umay Parochas. And what's the Parochas? Parochas Debavi. See, I will say, there were, there were curtains. There were curtains in the Mikdash Rishon. All of the entrances had curtains. There were 13 curtains in the Mikdash Rishon. Seven corresponding to seven entrances. And there was one ultimately, again, at the entrance way of the Ulam, one of the entrance way of the Hechel to the Kodesh, then two ultimately again by the Dvir, which is the entranceway to the Kodesh HaKadoshim, and ultimately two in the upper stories as well. So we'll say the point over here is you're right. The Mikdash Rishon didn't have double curtains and more dramatic curtains like they had in the second Mesa Mikdash, but there were absolutely curtains by the entranceways. So they would roll back the curtains. says, no, the story of the rolling back of the curtains to show the people the Kruvim was during the second base of Mikdash. Aye, but there's no Aron. So how were there Kruvim? Both say it's incredible. Ukruvim ditsurasa havakaimi. Both say, you're right. There were no Kruvim ultimately again on the Aron. But I both say there were additional Kruvim. There were Kruvim which were either painted on or engraved into the walls of the Kodesh HaKadashim. This is already from the right there. So, so the, and those were there. Even during the time, they, they, they were not the Kruvim of the Aron, but they were images of the Kruvim engraved ultimately onto the walls of the Kodesh HaKadoshim. So the Gemara says, Kiros Masav Kala Kruvim that the images of the Kruvim were like a man who had his arms wrapped around the one who he loves. So we'll say, so ultimately, again, you begin to see from here, so we'll say, this is incredible. So in the, the Kruvim of the second base Hamikdash were not the Kruvim of the lid of the Aron. Instead, they were the Kruvim, ultimately, of the images engraved on the walls of the Mikdash. Incredible. Amresh Lakish. When is a very dramatic Gemara. When the Nachrim came into the Heichal, right when the Gentile marauders came into the base of they saw the Kruvim, and they saw the Kruvim ultimately again with their arms wrapped around each other. They took them out to the marketplace. Now, so Rashi says over here, this is referring to the destruction of the second base Hamikdash. So, which Kruvim? Did they take out to the marketplace? If you look at Rashi, Rashi says, second line in Rashi, Kiplum min They peeled them off the wall. So again, whether we're talking about engraved images or whether we're talking about, again, painted images, they took the images off the wall and they brought them out. And I'm both saying, These Jews, whose bracha is a bracha, and whose klala is a klala. In other words, these Jews who are supposed to be so holy, yasku bidvarim halalu, could it be that they're engaged in this kind of stuff? In other words, I will say, they brought this out because what the Kruvim, the Kruvim depicted, depicted an incredible sense of, of, of physical intimacy they were embracing between a man and a woman. And so, and so the, 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 the Gaim, right, said, this is what the Jews are about. 
This is what they have in their holiest of places, an image depicting a man and a woman locked in a passionate embrace. This is what they have in their holiest space. What a base and immoral people. The Rebbe said, the Gemara says, Miyad Hezilom. And as a result, ultimately, again, Klali so was disparaged and humiliated. Ultimately, again, literally all those who respected him or all the exalted ones were degraded because they saw her nakedness. So it's actually really an incredible thing in general, in general. What, what makes intimacy between a husband and a wife special is that it's private. The moment it becomes something public, this is why in general, people have to be incredibly tsenua about, and people have to be incredibly private and modest about the intimate details of their married life. It's nothing to be shared with anyone else. Why? Because what makes it special is that it's something private between two people who care about each other very much. The moment that that intimate relationship becomes part of the public sphere, ultimately is the moment that it becomes something base and immoral. So when the Kruvim were in the Kodesh HaKadoshim, behind the curtain, and people saw it, and again, remember we saw they saw it, but they saw it from behind the curtain. It represented that innermost, most intimate, private love between HaKadosh Baruch Hu and Am Yisrael. But once it becomes dragged into the street, then it becomes something immoral and base. So it's incredible. The destruction, it's, it's, I mean, it's, it's, it gives you a new dimension of the Khurban, that that which represented the most beautiful and intimate parts of our relationship with Hashem was dragged out into the public sphere and ultimately fundamentally degraded. Well, so, you know, there's a whole discussion over here. There's a whole machlokas. Some understand this Gemara as referring to actually the Khurban of the first base Hamikdash, not the second base Hamikdash. Rashi clearly understands it to be the second base Hamikdash. That's why when they speak about the Kruvim, Rashi says this is not the Kruvim on the Aron, but rather ultimately, again, this is the Kruvim on the walls, on the walls that they peeled off. I will just point out that many interpret this Gemara as referring to the first base Hamikdash. Now, it's the first base Hamikdash. What's interesting, we don't have time for this, but I'll just say this very good. I'll, I'll tease you with this. If it's the first base Hamikdash, What's interesting about this is when they took out the Aron, the Aron, and I will say, this presupposes two things. Number one, that they took out the Aron during the time of the first base Amikdash, and that the Kruvim were locked in an embrace at the time of the destruction. The reason why that's interesting is because the Gemara Babasra says, reconciles two different Pesukim. There are two, one Pesukim, one Pasuk says, the Kruvim faced towards each other, other Pasuk says, the Kruvim faced away from each other. How does the Gemara reconcile that? The Gemara reconciles that when we're osin ritzon when we're fulfilling the will of God, the Kruvim faced each other. When we were not fulfilling the will of God, the Kruvim faced away from each other. According to this Gemara, if you understand it to mean that this is the first base of Mikdash, Kruvim of the Aron, it paints a picture that what? Even at the time of the destruction of Esa Mikdash, the Kruvim were facing each other and locked in an embrace. Which also tells you something dramatically amazing. That even in times of Korban, and Bnei Yisachar brings this out, even in times of Korban, and even in times of destruction, and even in times of terrible punishment, the Ribbono Olam's love is always there. Again, more to speak about that, but we'll put that on the list. So let's remember again, the stone upon which the Aron was situated was called the Evan Shesia. So the Gemara says, Tana, Sasa Olam. We'll say, why is it called the Evan Shesia? Because this was the stone from which the entire world was created. Hushsas means established. This was, apparently this stone of Osei was, the first piece of matter, right? The first stone 
from which everything else was created in the world. This reflects the opinion that says that the entire Yushalayim was the first, was the first earth, the first, right, the first earth created, and everything was created from Yerushalayim. Bisanya, Rabbi Eliezer Omer, Olam Emtsi Iso Nivra, Rabbi says the world was created from its center. Shinemar, Batsaka, Safala Mozak, Rogam, Migal, Yedobku, Rabbi Yosho Omer, Olam Enat Stadi Nivra, Rabbi Yosho says, no, the world was not created from its center. Rather, the world was created from its sides and built. And I will say there's a lot of symbolic, metaphorical meaning in all of this. We don't have time for it today, but Amir Hashem, we, we will hopefully one day find the time to do it. So Limar says, Shnei Amar ki l'shalag yomar, hai arhave aretz v'gesh amata v'gesh amitros uzo. Rabbi Yitzchak nafch amar, even yorak hadish baruch hu b'yam, mimenu nish sasram. Yitzchak says, no, the way the world was created was that Hashem took a stone and threw a stone into the sea. Remember again, when we open up Bereshis, when we open up Bereshis, right, what is the world? Water. The world is totally water. So how does the earth, how does the earth start? How does land start? Hashem took a stone, threw it into the water, and that was the beginning of dry land. So the Gemara says, The Chacham say, But say, going back for just a moment, the Chacham say that, no, the world was created from Sion, from Yishalayim. So Yishalayim was the first earth that was created and everything was built out from there. Shnei Amar, Mizmar the Asaf, Ela Lokim, Bosei the Gemara quotes the Pasek from Tehillim Dun, chapter 50. Mizmar the Asaf, Ela Lokim, or Kela Lokim. So a song of Asaf to Hashem. So the list is Va'omer. The next part of that Pasek says, Mitzion Michlal Yofi. Now, what does that mean, Mitzion Michlal Yofi? The way the Gemara Darshans it is, Mimenu, Muchlal Yof Yof Shal Olam. From Tzion, ultimately, again, has included the beauty of the world, which means that from Tzion comes the beauty of the world. The world was created from Tzion. So ultimately, according to this approach, according to this approach, the world was created from Yerushalayim. Yerushalayim was the first piece of earth created. But ultimately, again, the Evan Shesia was the first piece of earth created in Yerushalayim. So Yerushalayim is the Evan Shesia, from the Evan Shasir, the rest of Yerushalayim, and then from the rest of Tzir, from the rest of Yerushalayim, comes the rest of the earth. So, Tanya Belezra got the Omer. Eile told us Hashem, Ba'aretz Pihi Baram, Biyom Asos Hashem Elokim, Eretz Hashemayim. So, ultimately, again, Rabbi Belezra got says, the Pazik says, these are the Toldos, right? Little, these are the offspring of the Shamayim and the artists, the heavens and the earth. Bihi Baram, when he created them, on the day that Hashem created the heavens and the earth. Toldos Shamayim Shamayim, Nivru, Toldos Aretz Me'aretz Nivru, and Rabbi Eliezer holds that which exists in the heavens was made from the heavens, and that which exists on the earth was made from the earth. The Chum, the Chum say no. Eilu vi Eilu Mitzion Nivru. This is actually quite beautiful. The Rabbi Chum say everything came from Tzion, which I'll say, what Rabbi Eliezer seems to be saying is even that which exists in the heavens ultimately comes from Tzion. Anything material in this world comes from Yerushalayim. Shnei Amar Mizmar the Asaf Kela Lokim Hashem Diber Vayikra Eretz Mizrach Shemesh Ad Mivaova Omer Mitzion Michlal Yofi Lokim Hofia Mimenu Muchlal Yofi Yof Shal Olam. But say it's that last phrase really Mimenu Muchlal Yofi Yof Shal Olam that ultimately again Mitzion Michlal Yofi that phrase which is the words of David Hamelach teaches us. From Sion, Muchlal Yof Yof Shal Olam. Ultimately, again, from Sion, the rest of the beauty of the world emanated. All the beauty in this world comes from Sion. So we'll say, interestingly enough, 
uh, a multiple way machlokis about the genesis of the world. Did the world start from the center? Did the world start from the sides? Did the world start ultimately again from a stone being cast into the sea? And again, I just want to point out, I will say, this is not just simply an academic machlokis about how the world was created. This embedded in this machlokis is fundamental machlokis about the very nature of creation, the very tachlis habriya. But the Mishnah reflects this idea that the world was created from the Evan Shesia, what we call the foundation stone, the stone from which the entire creation began, the Evan Mishan Hushsasa Olam, and ultimately again that stone creates the rest of Yerushalayim, and Kimitzion not just Tetzay Torah, the Kimitzion Tetzay Olam. The world itself comes in Mishan, the world itself comes from Sion, which means, Rabbi Nachman, I'll have to end with this. Rabbi Nachman says, you see from here, that since the world was created from Sion, there is a little bit of Kiddushas Eretz Yisrael embedded in the entire world. That's why anywhere you go in this world, you have the ability to access Nitzitzay Kiddusha, the ability to go and access sparks of holiness. Why is that? Why is every single part of the world ultimately have Kiddusha? Because in some way, somehow, some form, Every part of the world traces its origin back to Zion, back to Yerushalayim. Shabbat uh, shalom. Uh, uh, yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, I saw it in the middle of Shir. Yep. You know, we always know, I, I, you know, over the years I've tried to, tried to throw every silver off.